The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you live from many different locations around Southern California this morning. I'm live in my home, in a back room in my home, and I have a, I have a small pet here with me. He's the new pet in our lives, Mr. Cheese. Hi, Cheese. Um, he may visit later on, uh, but if you hear any little yipping, it is because Mr. Cheese hangs out with us for the show. He's our now our show mascot. How's that? Uh, thrilled to be here with you on this Monday morning. Um, I wasn't here live on Thursday and Friday, and that's pretty much the first time that we've done that um, since the lockdown started. We've been doing our live shows Monday through, well, that's the other dog barking, yeah. We've been doing our live shows Monday through Friday, and uh, we are getting ready to host the Joanne Lara Memorial, which will be happening this Saturday. I want everyone to know that anyone who loved Joanne or, you know, saw her on the show is as welcome. Anyone is welcome. It's open to everyone, we're gonna be posting information about it, um, but it is Saturday morning. It starts at 10.30 Pacific time, which is 1.30 Eastern time. And I know that there are people in many different time zones. It will be live. Uh, it will be hosted by the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Um, their Zoom webinar, we really wanna thank everyone for that. Dr. Grampichet will be one of the noted speakers along with Ed Asner, uh, Joe Montaigne, Chuck Saffler, one of her students who oh, broke my heart. There will be a couple of performances and some slideshows about her life. And um, so I'm helping to organize and, um, you know, this, you have to take what you can, right? Um, when, when Joanne and I talked about the unthinkable if she was to die during this COVID emergency and social distancing, what would we do? And I told her that we would do a big memorial where we can all hug each other um, somewhere down the line when it is safe. But in the meantime, that we would do a virtual memorial that would be worldwide. And, and as much as I hate that we can't all be together, the truth of the matter is, is that there is a blessing in that people will be able to attend this webinar who couldn't before. So wherever you are, what, whatever country you're in, you are invited to come to this webinar. Keep an eye on our um, Facebook posts so that you can see what the code is. You have to register for the meeting and then the, the password gets sent to you. It's like that. It's like that. Uh, okay, so, but we're here with you live today. We've got a great show planned for you. We're here live all week. At, hi, Michelle, and hi, Terry. 
Uh, so thrilled that you guys are here. We're talking about autism from a 360 degree perspective. We, we really love your input. So I love that you guys are already writing in and saying hi. We love for the conversation to be two-way. Um, and we hope to provide information and inspiration, but we love to know from you, what is it you need? What is it you have questions about? So uh, I do wanna point out here at the start of the show that we have lots of experts that are on the show. I'm not one of them, not an expert. I'm a mom. I'm a mom of an individual who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. And um, so I have a vested interest in, in, in this and I have a karmic debt that I have to pay down because there was a day and a time, well, it wasn't just a day, but there were several times in my life that I said, please help me, help me to help my child. And I promise I will help whoever I can. And that is, that is what I'm about here. That's all, my only intention is to help you to get to what you need. And when I say you, I'm talking to that larger autism community that we welcome here. Of course, that starts with individuals who are on the autism spectrum, of course. But we also include here everybody who loves those individuals whether that's a mom, a dad, an aunt, a grandparent, a teacher, uh, a behavioral therapist, uh, a speech and language pathologist, a brother, a sister, a spouse, a girlfriend, boyfriend. I mean, you know, whoever it is that loves an individual or many individuals with autism, we welcome you here and we hope that together that we can um, find resources for the individuals because there is no one size fits all here, right? So um, don't mistake me for an expert, but do mistake me for somebody who cares deeply and wants to make sure that you get what you need, okay? Uh, having said all that, we like to start the show on Mondays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani nani are the experts talking about? Uh, and, you know, why? Why do we need to learn? Like, I remember in the beginning, I was like, can't you just say what you want to say in terms that everybody understands, right? Um, but I've learned over the years that the jargon is important because it's a shorthand um, and it's more specific than uh, just, you know, what we'll do in our explanations, right? So, but it's important that we make friends with the jargon. So you can see that today's jargon term is DTT. I don't know about you, but I thought that was, when I first heard about this, I thought it was a bug spray, right? Uh, so what on earth is DTT? Uh, okay, so first we're gonna give you the actual definition. I try to make fun of it whenever possible because you know we all need a hobby. And then we give you a working definition, which hopefully is better, sometimes it isn't. And then we talk about it just briefly so that hopefully you get a beginning idea of why this might be important to you and what misconceptions especially in the case of DTT, might abound. So DTT, not a bug spray. Let's take a look at what our actual definition for DTT is. Dun, da, da, da. DTT, training that focuses on a single cycle of behaviorally based instruction routine. All right, well, you know, as definitions go, it's not a bad one, but I'm no cl closer to knowing what it really is. 
when I had a three, well, he was two and a half. I had a two and a half year old and somebody was saying, well, you know, something about that, 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 that DTT. And I looked it up and I was like, mm, I don't know what this means, right? What, like a training that focuses on a single cycle of behaviorally based instruction routine. Mm. Okay, so let's move on to our working definition and see what we've got there. Uh, teaching one targeted behavior at a time. Okay, great. I still don't know what it looks like. I still don't know what it is. So here's the thing I want you to know about DTT. DTT is a teaching technique that is part of a full comprehensive ABA program. So when, when people talk about doing ABA, I want you to imagine a toolbox. And in the toolbox, you have a hammer, you got a screwdriver, you got a tape measure, you probably have a level, you have different tools for different things. And you know that if you go to use a hammer when you need a screwdriver, you're gonna be in some serious trouble. Like something is not gonna go right. You know what I'm saying? So um, in the toolbox of ABA, there is a tool called DTT. And DTT is a very structured, um, it looks weird. Let's just say that. Let's get that out in the open. It looks completely bizarre and like nothing you really would get excited about. Uh, unless you knew what it's capable of doing. So it is an early teaching strategy to teach something to somebody when, when, especially when something in the natural environment has not been successful. So you've got your child with uh, an autism spectrum diagnosis and because my child was two and a half, let's say that this child is, is two and a half because that's what I'm familiar with. And my child at two and a half um, was not doing the things that a, that a typically developing two and a half year old was doing. Um, he wasn't speaking and adding words. Now, when I see a two and a half year old and they're like, mommy and I, you know, there was that video that came out years ago of the kid who was reading his mom the riot act about the cupcake. Do you remember this? It was crazy and it was hilarious and it was funny. I sobbed. I sobbed because it was like a two and a half, three-year-old. And I was like, I had no idea they talked that much. And my kid just wasn't. And it wasn't like we were being lazy and not talking to him and not trying to get him to talk. It just wasn't happening. So we started ABA and in the beginning, and actually in the beginning they did a whole bunch of other things, but eventually they did DTT. And DTT is that funny thing that you see that there's videos of online that you go, oh, that looks horrible. That looks like it creates robots. Where it's a kid sitting at a table, sometimes they got a field of three things in front of them and they'll, in a very funny voice, they'll say, touch car, right? And you go, oh, that must be bad, right? It's not. It's just that all you're seeing is step one. If I was gonna show you a cha-cha dancer and uh, I was gonna show you what the finished project look, uh, you know, with a cha-cha dancer being able to cha-cha, um, you'd be like, ooh, that's good, I want that, right? And if I was to show you a video of them about halfway in where they're dancing and, but they don't have it quite right, you'd be like, oh yeah, I want that. That looks like fun. But if I was to show you the very beginning boring lesson where they said, you know, okay, you're going to put your foot forward one. Okay. That's all we're going to do right now. Put your foot forward one, right? You would go, oh, I'll never learn to cha-cha doing that. Right? Because it's just step one. This is what DTT is. 
But too often people assume that the DTT is the whole thing. And if you have an ABA provider where it's the whole thing, stop what you're doing, <laughs> stop everything and get a good ABA provider. It's just that simple, right? But too often right now, parents are looking at the DTT videos and saying, I don't wanna do ABA because I think it's that. You're preventing your child from being able to do the whole thing, right? Or they're saying, well, I wanna do ABA, but I don't want you to do the DTT. I only want you to do natural environment training. Well, you know, you're gonna to get to natural environment training, but you're gonna to get to it faster if you do the DTT. And if natural environment training was already working, your child wouldn't be as behind as they are. So please parents, because I we see the effect of this. What's happening is the parents are going to the is the board certified behavior analyst and saying, I'll do ABA, but I don't want that DTT. So more and more ABA professionals, they shouldn't be, but more and more of them are going, Mm, all right, and the kids aren't learning as fast. Let your child do DTT. It looks strange. It looks bizarre. It works like a charm because it's step one through five of getting your child to the point where they can learn in the natural environment. And we just heard Dr. Grampy say the other day, if you're not doing a program that has both, you're shortchanging your kid. Um, you don't want a program that's just NET all the time, 100% of the time, because that's just using a hammer all the time. And you don't want a program that is just DTT because that's using a screwdriver all the time. Use all the tools, use them for the thing that's right and beginning learning DTT. There's nothing like it. You just don't want it forever and ever and ever because we're not gonna cha-cha if we're only going step forward one, right? So, but we're not gonna get to the cha-cha unless we do that stage. DTT looks weird, works great. That's what I want you to know. Don't shortchange your kiddos on it. Okay, uh, moving on. We always have a question of the day for you. And our thing is running a little slow today, but uh, question of the day is what's the biggest challenge you've overcome? Okay, so like, you know, think back in your memory about like the hardest things that you've faced and what's the biggest challenge you've overcome. I, um, I was saying to a parent on Saturday that, um, you know, my, we call my son Jem from To Kill a Mockingbird and we named him that long before, you know, he was, he was out and tootling around. Um, and there's a part in the book and in the movie of To Kill a Mockingbird where um, they're about to go into the forest and the narrator says, um, you know, we started into the forest and I didn't know that this would be the longest journey that Jem and I would ever take together. And, um, you know, that was when we started, uh, when he descended into autism and we started the, the long climb out um, I would think about that phrase all the time. It was the longest journey that Gem and I would ever take together. And Gem and I have taken some journeys together. We have gotten into the car and gone across the country speaking and, and you know, going and meeting parents and, um, you know, but those were adventures. They were journeys, but they were adventures. The longest journey was um, helping him 
to be able to do the things that he wanted to do. It was something that we will always be bonded over. Um, in fact, our family unit, my husband and I and our son, um, you know, there were times it was really hard. And I, I remember thinking, oh, you know, I don't want this to pull my marriage apart. But instead, what it did was it made my marriage stronger. Um, and it's, you know, it's the thing I'm proudest of in our lives. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope that for all of you, you get the benefit of having that opportunity. And if you do, please take advantage of it. Go on this journey with your kiddos. It's worth it. It's really, really worth it. But I want to hear from you guys. What's the biggest challenge you've overcome? Um, I'm now able to have amazing conversations with my son. And he, you know, I won't say that there are no challenges in his life because he's a person. Uh, and he's a teen person. He's a 17-year-old person. You know, by definition, that's a challenging time for anyone. Um, but I don't think that he has any extra challenges over anyone else. In fact, I think he has fewer. Um, because he has a working base of how to work through when things aren't working that I didn't have when I was 17. Um, so I do feel like we have overcome something. Um, so together. Uh, but what have you guys, what have, what's the biggest challenge that you've overcome? All right. Um, we also always have a topic for the week. Aren't you, aren't you like curious of what the topic of the week is this week? It's climbing the mountain. Um, you know, I keep, I keep talking about my friend, Joanne Laura, cause I'm going to, and, um, she called me about, I don't know, probably a year ago. And she was, uh, she said, you got to listen to this song. And it was Elvis it's a song I'd never heard before. Um, but it was, um, El it, the name of the song is you gave me a mountain and it's this whole thing about, you know, I've had all these things in my life, but you gave me a mountain to climb and I got to climb it by myself. And, and you know, it was very important to her and it was something we talked a lot about, but the climbing the mountain has already been a big metaphor in my life because I remember a time when um, somebody was talking to me about something else and, and I was having a hard time. And uh, ironically, it was that I was trying to lose weight and eventually I did lose a hundred pounds, gained them all back now, but you know, at one point I lost a hundred pounds. And, and kept it off for a really, really long time. But um, I was saying, you know, I want to get to that place. I want to get to the top of the mountain. I want to be at the top of the mountain. I want to be at my goal weight. I want to be there. And, um, and somebody was talking to me about the difference between when you're standing at the base of the mountain and looking at the top of the mountain, and it seems so far away. Um, but all you can see is that there's like this distance and you can see the, the final thing. But that if you start walking up the mountain, when you are literally walking up a mountain, what happens, you can't go straight up, right? You have to, you have to either go and cut back and, and keep, or you have to go around. Like you cannot walk straight up a mountain. And that what happens as you are going up is that you no longer can see the peak. You have to know that it's there, but you must deal with the things directly in front of you, knowing that it's there. And I just want to throw that out to you guys this week that it's easier when you are on the path because you can, you can keep saying to yourself, I know where I'm going, right? But keep in mind that, you know, a lot of, they call them hitchbacks on the mountain. So you walk up 
And then you have to hitch back the other way. You go in a zigzag, knowing that that's the way that you're going to get there. But you're, you become present with the path because you gotta, you gotta be looking out for are there snakes crawling out from rocks? You know, where are my feet so that I don't fall down from where I am? But every once in a while, you stand on the mountain and you turn and you look and you go, wow, we're significantly further than we were the last time I looked down. And I think that this is a great metaphor for life and for autism because you gotta get on the mountain. If you keep standing at the base of the mountain and looking up at the top, it's so overwhelming. Get on the mountain, get present, take a look at where your feet are, but have that image in your head of where you're going. And every once in a while, stop and go, oh, look, look at how far we've come. That's what will help you to get to the top. Climbing the mountain, we're doing it together this week. Uh, as Elvis said, you gave me a mountain, I gotta go through it. All right, so today on the show, we have the wonderful Bonnie Yates, who's joining us again. Um, from Toner Law Offices. She's going to be answering your questions. Excuse me. I believe that she may be with us. Now I've got the hiccups and the burps. I apologize. Um, and we've got a list of questions and you guys can be writing in as well about this or about anything else that we have going on. Is Bonnie with us? Or am I continuing to patter? I don't know what's happening, but uh, I'll keep talking until we have Bonnie here. Uh, we have a list of questions that came in from folks over the last week. Um, and Bonnie always has other stuff that she wants to talk with us about. I will say, there she is, that Bonnie is with the Toner Law Offices. Yeah, I sorry. I actually was here. I just forgot to do whatever I'm supposed to do. Oh, that's okay. While you're doing that, I'm going to say hi to AXA and Marianella and Rebecca. Um, okay. So Bonnie, you look fabulous. Thank you. You, you, and I, I understand we're saying happy anniversary to you. Well, we got through that. <laughs> yeah. I, I love to see, she posted a picture from her wedding. I love to see friends that I've known for a long time. Um, but not that long. Um, it was great to see your wedding picture. It was just the look on your face. You were a very happy camper. I love that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I got lucky. I got lucky. Me too. Me and too. That, that picture, I know, because I saw your post for Father's Day. That picture surfaced very recently. It was taken by a friend of mine that I'm still friends with, but he took it when we got married. He was like my buddy in high school. So anyway. Um, great picture. Uh, yeah. Um, so Back to real life. Um, yes. I tell you that, that this program is brought to you by Autism Live. Thank you very much, Autism <laughs> Live. Um, I'm from the Tolner Law Offices. We have offices in San Jose, Los Angeles, and um, Irvine. Uh, if you are located in California, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to give you a free consultation. We're now, because of virtuality has opened up a lot of things, we're now serving the entire state of California. So that means those underserved areas from Santa Barbara to San Luis Obispo to the northern, northern part of the state, we can help more families um, get access to you know, services and understanding the system. On this show, we're trying to let you know more about your legal rights under the IDEA. And it's been pretty thrilling for me, but some people have reached out to me in the last two months from listening to the show. 
And it's been really good to, to talk to you, get your feedback and, and, and focus in on a more specific way about what's going on with you. So feel free to do that. Um, on this show, we're giving you, you know, general information, mostly um, federal law and uh, state of California law because we're in uh, California. Uh, and if you need a consultation outside of the state, go to COPA, C-O-P-A-A.net. That's a good source of attorneys that have, you know, ties to the special needs disability community and um, are presumed to be reputable attorneys since they don't have to belong to this organization and they choose to. So um, I had a bunch of stuff, like stuff, food for thought stuff over the summer about IEP prep for fall and cleaning up after springtime. We'll get to that whenever we're done with the questions. But um, there is actually a lot to say now that the year is over. I'm hearing from people what they were supposed to get and what they didn't get and they didn't know they were supposed to have an IEP and nobody ever put their distance learning plan in writing. So there's cleanup that needs doing before fall and that's one of the things we can talk about. Anyway, do I you want to read the first question? Yeah. Um, so the first question is, our school district is asking us to get feeding goals from a feeding expert for our son's IEP. Is this normal? Should we ask them to pay for this? This is our first IEP. Our son is entering kindergarten. Well, is this normal? <laughs> Do school districts try to get parents to pay for things that they're supposed to pay for if they think they can get away with it? Um, sometimes. Is this a medical service? Yes. Uh, can the district be required to pay for medical services if they're necessary to um, offer FAPE? Well, there are instances in which the district will have to do a medical assessment. I'm assuming feeding has an ed educational impact at school because if you can't get food in the person, they're going to get low blood sugar and it's going to interfere with their concentration. Do you have insurance that would pay for a feeding evaluation? If you don't, are you a regional center client? If you're not, I think you got to go back to the district and say, this is how feeding affects my child at school. You seem to agree with me since you're telling me to get a feeding out evaluation. I'm all for that, but I don't have any way to get it that's free. So I need you to give me a list of people that you will pay for for me to consult with and get a feeding evaluation so we can move this along. It's a very interesting world we live in, isn't it? Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, it's the first time I'd ever heard a parent ask that. So I was a little like, oh, that's interesting. But, okay. Well, you know, yeah. you know that CARD has pioneered uh, the whole field of, of feeding issues as not being really a separate and apart from autism problem. It's part of the cognitive stickiness. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, if you can't, you know, if you can't eat all day, um, or you need medicine at school to function and you can't get it. I mean, these are problems that definitely have an educational impact. And remember, whenever we're talking about a service under the IDEA, we are always having to justify not just that there's a need for the service generally, but that in order to access the curriculum, you need the service. And if you don't get the service, it'll have an educational impact. And we've talked about educational impact being broader than just academics. Um, it can include vocational issues, social, emotional functioning, and so on. Um, it's really always uh, just interesting for me to see what the backstory is when the lawyer isn't involved. There's certain things that they say 
that they would not say if they understood that the parent actually did have resources and was checking it all out. Yeah. Uh, okay, moving on to the second question. I recently discovered that other children were getting one-to-one -one tutoring and other services during the shutdown that my son was not getting. He was not getting most of his services, and I assumed that this was the way for everyone. Not so. When I found out and called the school, they said they would like me to talk to a mediator. This has never happened before, and I don't know what to expect. Okay, well, uh, apropos all of this, um, hold on, sorry. Apropos all of this, um, it is interesting when they pull a client into mediation. And um, I actually was talking to another mom, Shannon, who listened to the show and she's got the same thing. She's got the same thing going on. And I, I mean, I, I, I found it very interesting that the district wanted to use a mediator, the particular mediator that's being used is somebody who has a reputation with me for being school biased, which makes sense since the school pays a mediator's salary. And it started to feel a little bit like the mediator's leaning on somebody to accept something. Well, the problem is if you sign a settlement agreement with the district, and obviously there's not gonna be a mediator unless there's a settlement agreement, that's what the mediator's for. How do you know what your two years of claims that you're waiving are worth? Um, it, it definitely sounds to me like you are entitled to, uh, and they are thinking that you're entitled to compensatory education and that they're gonna try to get you into a quick settlement. So you waive all claims. What, what I recommend though, is that you not do that. You take advantage of the opportunity to have a consultation with somebody who can tell you what you should be settling your case for because once you've settled it, they're gonna include language in the release that says, I've had an opportunity to consult with an attorney and I'm signing this out of my own free will. Once you sign that thing, it's done. So they do owe you compensatory education. You should start thinking about what compensatory education you feel is warranted and you should put that in writing to them. But again, if it's it's a lot of services and we are talking about at least four, you know, four months, maybe it's not really okay to do this thing in a solo fashion. Yeah. At the bare minimum, I would have an attorney review the settlement agreement. Okay. Great advice. <clears throat> and again, uh, if you're in California, get Bonnie and the Tolner Law Offices. If you are outside of California, COPA, C-O-P-A-A dot net or okay. org. Exactly. We discovered that org works well. Oh, it's both <clears throat> weird. Yeah. Okay. Well, we found that out. I don't know when we found that out, but we were well, like, oh. It might've changed over. I'll, I'll have to correct what I'm saying on the air. So that's good. No, no, both worked. Oh, both, both worked. Okay. Uh, okay, right. after okay. these... After these last few months, we have decided to hire a one-to-one -one tutor for our daughter for the summer. I have a feeling we're gonna find out she's capable of much more than what the school has said. We saw this in teaching her ourselves. My question, uh, it was our plan to pay for the tutor. If it is successful and we wanna continue in the fall, what would I need to do now to get them to pay for it in the future? Well, you'd have to give them 10 business days notice and in writing, tell them the reasons why you are, um, I mean, normally you're supposed to tell them what you're rejecting about what they offered, but you haven't told us that. You have to tell them why you need to do this and why 
she's gonna lose ground if, if she doesn't do it. And um, basically why the service is necessary. I mean, my emphasis should be that whenever you pay for a private service you, and you wanna have the potential to ask for reimbursement, you have to give the district 10 business days written notice. And that's in all the 50 states. So that's the main thing you have to do. The other thing you need to know is you're taking a little bit of a risk because there were relaxation of standards in terms of what districts had to provide during COVID. But I suspect the way it's gonna get handled is lots of people are never gonna swing back around and start a legal case to get reimbursed. And I think in those cases where the district has a parent actually you know, approach them in the right way, they're probably gonna think long and hard about going to hearing as opposed to paying for the services. So I can't guarantee you that you have a normal comp ed case because you don't because of, you know, at least in California under SB 117, the rules on school closure re relaxed those requirements somewhat. But um, we also know, we've talked about on the show before that if you can show regression was occurring, um, you, you know, arguably ought to be in a good position to get, you know, to get the comp ed. Of course, as far as comp ed goes, the more it costs, the more resistance you're gonna get. Um, so, you know, I don't want anybody to think, oh, Bonnie just said, go out and, you know, purchase a $25,000 reading intervention, you can get it reimbursed. But I mean, it's really, if you've been collecting regression data on your child, for example, and, um, I'm not getting a lot of pushback when I say four months is a long time to be out of school plus two months in the summer. You know, they're saying, yeah, we get it. So you, you've definitely got something to talk about with them, but make sure you give the notice. I, if I, I, I read the question a little bit different. Okay. And, um, and part of what I've been hearing from parents is that they're not able to keep a regression log because their kids aren't regressing, that there are a group of kids that were apparently parked in school programs that weren't really beneficial for them. And now that they're at home and working with the kiddo, the kiddo is doing better. Well, that, that's, a, that's an interesting problem called, I just made my kids' grades look better and, and you know, compromised my special education case. Um, but I mean, if you were doing well at home, I guess my question would be, why not just continue with that? And why would you hire the tutor? Well, I think um, what I read was that they've already made the decision to hire the tutor for the summer and they've made their peace with, with paying for the tutor for the summer, but that what they're worried about is the fall. And if they see that with a tutor, their child can do better with a one-on-one -on -one situation that their child can do better at school, how would they continue that in the fall? Well, so, that's a good question too. And I did sort of skip that part of it. I mean, you aren't allowed to automatically claim entitlement to a tutor just because your child had one and did better. I mean, the uh -huh. analysis isn't, do you do better with one-to-one -one services? Because most children will. The analysis is what is required for FAPE. And so what's going on in the fall that you need to continue the tutoring? Well, if you found out that your child can exceed expectations and they've got a whole bunch of IEPs that were put together in the last couple of years, that had um, unreasonably low expectations, then you've got a, a FAPE case. And okay. as part of that FAPE case, one of the remedies might be the private tutor. Um, okay. So that, I think that's the way the analysis should work. Okay. It, you know, but, but just because you do better 
you know, uh, with a one service, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean the district didn't offer FAPE, but it may. So the whole two years I has see. to be looked at. Okay. Uh, next question. My son has a five oh made it through the end of the school year, but now our school is talking about doing a part-time program in the fall. He would go to school two days a week, get online classes the other days. I will be honest, I think this is the stupidest thing to do in terms of the virus. Everyone is entitled to their opinion, but I'm not doing this. Does the school have to offer him a full distance plan if I'm not comfortable, or do I have to find a homeschool? What are our rights on this, and does the 504 matter at all? Well, why do you have a 504 plan and not an IEP if your child has autism? If your child had an IEP and not a 504 plan, I would say have an IEP meeting with them and, do and document, you know, what, or write them a letter and explain why you feel that it is unsafe for him and you, maybe you need a doctor's letter, to go to school in the fall and that you need a distance learning plan. And it needs to be robust and not a half an hour a day. And that becomes an IEP team decision. Um, with the 504 plan, you can have the same conversation, but when they say no to you, if they say no to you, how are you gonna enforce your rights? That's the problem with 504. Okay. I mean, districts can be required to offer not just accommodations, but services under 504. And certainly there's gonna be kids, I think doing distance learning that are, that are general ed students, but have a medical condition. The problem is just how do you raise these issues if you don't have an IEP? And I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say, if there are 10 of you and 10 of you have a 504 plan and you are Autism Live listeners, I'm gonna venture a guess that 9.9 .9 of you should have an IEP because otherwise, the contention is that your, your autism isn't really having a significant educational impact. And I haven't really met anybody yet. I've met some kids that got so much intensive ABA that they dramatically improved and things could be stepped back. But in yeah. the first instance, if you have autism and your kid is four years old and you go to your district and they say, the autism doesn't have an educational impact, we're gonna put you on a 504 plan you know, excuse me while I step out of the room and pull my hair out by the roots. Yeah, no kidding. But I think, you know, one of the things that I'm noticing, uh, and again, you know, as this person says, everybody's entitled to their opinion, is that, um, you know, while there's a lot going on and, and there's a lot of agreement that we need to get back to some semblance of nor normalcy in terms of the economy, that nothing has really changed in, in terms of the virus, and I know I'm interested in knowing like what, if we don't feel comfortable, not even talking about from, you know, getting an individual doctor's um, evaluation, if, if we don't, at the beginning, when they sent everybody home, everybody was asked, what are you comfortable with? You don't need to do anything that you're not comfortable with. Now that seems to have gone by the wayside and, and that we don't really have a say anymore. So if parents are like, I don't think it's safe for my child to go back to school and school says we're going to offer a partial in-school program for like, I, I count myself in this category. I got to be honest, Bonnie, that I don't want to send my kid back to school. Um, I'm not going to the grocery store. So why would, with a mask on, so why would I think it's appropriate to send my kid to school? Are we just going to be stuck? 
Um, what rights do we have as parents if we, if we don't want to do that? Well, DeVos said no waivers. Um, so in theory- well, What does that mean? Well, I think that means if your child has an IEP, they still need to try to serve him via distance learning plan if it's not safe for him to go to school. But we haven't had guidance from the, from the state government here in California yet about what they're gonna do in terms of school reopening. So the answer is, I don't know yet. I'll know more in 30 days. You know, All right, we'll check hearing, back. You know, we're hearing what she's talking about, staggered days, we're hearing staggered schedules, we're hearing yeah. don't reopen up. I know in the Bay Area, I was hearing at most a 20% school week. You know, we're gonna go through a whole other iteration of this for fall that's gonna be potentially as weird and, and unknown territory as what we went through starting in March. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, we just, I, I just don't know yet. I don't know yet. And maybe this next question is the heart of the matter. Um, a person asks, if we choose to homeschool over the summer with a homeschool program, maybe stay in it in the fall. How do we get the school to pay for it? What is that process? So that's that 10 day thing you were talking about? Yeah, you wanna give them 10 business days notice. You wanna give them your reasons why it's necessary. Um, and just know that it's an open question as to what actually will be considered to be comp ed and you know, for what the time period is. Um, and it may be decided district by district. Sometimes the, the Department of Ed, rather than doing what I think would be helpful, giving us some real leadership, they just sort of let each district do its own thing. So I don't know yet whether there's gonna to be top-down guidance or it's mainly just gonna be you know, do your own thing guidance. Um, but I'll let you know as soon as I do know. When, when we're not in a COVID emergency, if a family decides that they wanna homeschool, and they they have to give 10 days written notice and and can they just say because we've decided to because we're more comfortable with that because you know we want to include religious things and like what what are the reasons that they'll accept for why you want to do homeschool well you see that question starts to bifurcate because are you doing homeschool because of a faith dispute in the district not offering you a free appropriate public education are you doing homeschool because you'd like to participate in a private school, which in California is what you create when you start to homeschool in your home? Are you actually going to go to a brick and mortar school? And is it because of a faith dispute or do you want a religious education? So it's not as simple as just saying we want to homeschool. But if you are forced to remove your child from school due to a faith dispute, as certainly has happened in the past and, in the, and will again in the future, over the availability of decent ABA services in public school for your child, you want to preserve your right to sue. In California, you'd have two years from the from the date of the um, removal potentially to sue, um, and you have to give ten business days notice, which is more like really going to be two weeks notice, and you have to sit there and count. And the way you count is if you're giving notice today, Monday and today's the 22nd. You've got four days in this week. Yeah. You've got five days in the following week. Then I forget where 4th of July falls. But it's on you're Friday. Looking, you're yeah. looking at a date that's, that's basically in the beginning of July. And yeah. don't start anything until that date because even if you say, well, I just will only collect for 
after the 10 days. No, a hearing officer may deny or reduce your request for reimbursement because the, the district is entitled to have 10 business days to respond to your request, convene an IEP meeting, try to offer faith. And I'm just going to say it one more time. It's 10 business days. So right. don't, you know, don't penalize okay. yourself by giving 10 days notice and give the reasons why you're rejecting the district offer. If you just want to become a purely private student, it's easy to pull yourself out of the district. The problem with that is that the district should be hand holding annual IEPs for your child to keep to keep pace on what's going on. And as the person gets older, so that they can have accommodations for testing for high school and for college. If you become a purely privately placed student, you better work out something with the district where for sure still you're gonna have an annual IEP because otherwise they're just gonna kick you to the curb and forget you even exist and you will get no attention whatsoever. So private school person, if you wanna qualify your questions some more and send in some more facts, I think we could talk about you know private schooling in this time period but I, I need to know more about your reasons. Okay. And maybe uh, the, I think the question that I have is if it's not a fate dispute, but you've just, but it's a, you've decided that you don't want to risk being in the school um, because it would be risky. It's an ADA accommodation, Shannon. It's a 504 accommodation. That's, I mean, it's, 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 even if you don't have an IEP, you have a disability okay. and you think it's unsafe to go to school because you've always had a tendency toward gastrointestinal distress and you're afraid of COVID, that's an accommodation with your disability that should be available to you under the ADA. Okay. I don't think you're just going to be able to tell people, fine, go get lost. Like they're going to have to deal with you unless you make it easy for them not to have to deal with you. I think we're just trying to, I think we're all, myself included, just trying to figure out what the line is because I, in my case, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really trying to decide what, what, what my child will do in the fall. And yeah, you know, and I feel like um, this, I'm with this, this person who wrote in and, and, you know, this whole idea of, well, we're only going to go to school two days a week. I get it. You're trying to play a numbers game. I don't want to participate in that. Well, that has nothing to do with, with preventing infection of your child, in my view. It has to do with the fact that they are going to limit the school population considerably and have people on a staggered schedule. That doesn't mean when your kid is there that they aren't exposed, because they will be. But there's right. we have one, you know, if we have one third the number of kids, we'll be able to keep you discreetly separated enough and with masks and then you're not going to get sick. Well, um, I would just say, and I don't want to wander into political territory too much, right. uh, but what I, I'm finding is it it's hard for people, people don't like conflict and it's hard for people to tell other people, you know, do this or don't do this and, and other people don't like it. So I don't know how much enforcement of the rules is going to exist at school. It's going to be school, school to school, right? Okay. Well, we'll check back in. All right. We have a couple of minutes now. We've gotten to all the questions. Uh, well, and we had we had somebody write. I just want to acknowledge we had somebody who wrote in and said, "My grandson, my grandson is ten and high functioning autism, but no matter how smart he is, it's not easy for him to make friends." So sad. I would like to just point out to you that. Um, 
There's a wonderful program called the Peers Program, which um, you can take online right now through UCLA. Uh, so you can do it anywhere in the country. And I think that 10, you're old, that he's old enough. And it's a program that the parents, excuse me, take and the kids take, and it helps them to know how to make friends. It's really good, really, really good. And, and helps them to know how to find people of like interest and to let people of like interest find them. So I, I, I would encourage you peers, P-E-E-R-S at UCLA. Um, so there we go. Uh, but Bonnie, you had some stuff that you wanted to share about summer. I've, I'm dying to hear. You can just stop me when we're out of time. This is okay. more stuff from my favorite school district clearinghouse, LRP. And I want to say we had several people write in over the weekend and say, can she share that site? I just want to make sure everybody knows that you can't share that site, that it's not open to the public. So this well, is it's a subscription service. There we so go. Get it, but it's expensive. Okay. So I just wanted to be clear because people were like, why aren't you sharing the site? That's why. I, I wish. Um, yeah. Okay. Anticipating a lot of IEP meetings this fall, find out how to get organized. So this is obviously guidance for folks who um, are, are school district administrators and they're, they're preparing for fall. While most districts have been conducting virtual IEP meetings during the pandemic, many may not be prepared for the high number of meetings that will likely have to take place this fall. Now it's like Bonnie going, see, I told everybody. <laughs> um, Districts are going to have to think now about what will need to be accomplished in the meeting and what additional data will be necessary, said Peter Mayer, a school attorney at Shipman and Goodwin LLP in Hartford, Connecticut. Make sure parents are part of that discussion and that planning process. Follow these tips to prevent disagreements and delays regarding IEP meetings in the fall. One, watch your language. Be mindful of the wording you use when you are speaking with parents about setting up future IEP meetings. You don't want them to think you're prioritizing students with higher needs ahead of their own students. We should be, their own children. We should be planning for all students. Start exploring the primary purposes of the meeting now. For example, if an IEP meeting is needed for a triennial evaluation, recognize you can reach out to parents for their input now and see if they would agree to continue the student's current programming or develop an IEP amendment without the IEP meeting. Quote, there may be some flexibility to reconvene later after reevaluation has been completed in the fall. So in other words, there's a big problem for people who have tries coming up. Most districts have not been doing face-to-face -face assessments. I've said on this show before that if the district owes you a face-to-face -face assessment and they might, and they are refusing to give you one, in a timely fashion, you can try asking for them to pay for a private. Focus on meaningful participation. Um, oh, whoops. Yeah, no, that's right. Focus on meaningful participation. It's likely that IEP meetings will continue to take place in a virtual setting in the fall because of social distancing guidelines. So working with parents on how meetings will fit into their schedules will be paramount. Sending parents documentation that will be reviewed at the IEP meeting ahead of time um, will also matter now more than ever. Also discuss with parents how certain staff members may not be available in the fall um, as they have been in the past to participate in meetings. Um, if students are still learning remotely or are participating in a hybrid learning model, you may need to discuss when team members can be excused from meetings or can provide written notes ahead of time, he said. 
Don't wait until the fall. Whatever you do, don't wait until the fall to start discussing this with parents, Mayor said. The key is to be upfront and communicate on an ongoing basis. Check in and provide updates and seek input about parent concerns so that they feel they're included. Hopefully that will encourage some level of trust and patience uh, from parents. Communicate with the student's parents about the information you have and the information you need, Mayor said. If there's, a sufficient, if there's sufficient information to hold a meeting and develop a student's IEP now, then that's worth considering to reduce the backlog for the fall. Next point, are we out of time? No, no, we've got a couple of minutes. You got about three minutes left. Okay, okay. Don't forget idea requirements when conducting virtual IEP meetings. IEP teams uh, in the Crane, Texas Independent School District have engaged in virtual IEP team meetings using the Zoom app since March 16th. Quote, it's almost more deliberate and more focused being online, said Shelley Garcia, the district special education teacher. A lot of times in person, they're sidebar talking. That is so true. It's disorganized and it has a tendency to go on longer than it needs to. The Zoom meeting is more deliberate. Everybody takes their turns. Just remember that you must ensure meaningful participation, parent participation, regardless of the way you conduct the IEP meeting. Call the parents before the remote meeting to lay the groundwork and step up the level of trust, trust a notch, Garcia says. Also take these steps. Send prior written notice address the language needs, which has to do with interpreters, show the working IEP as you go, meaning projected on the Zoom screen, afford parents a consistent voice, make sure parents are not muted at any point during a meeting, check in regularly to ensure they've not been dropped from the meeting or are having technical difficulty, constantly ask them if they have any questions or concerns. We want them to give their input as freely as anybody else in the online meeting, they should be just as integrated into the online meeting as they would be into our traditional uh, meetings in person. Review the meeting minutes. Go over the minutes of the virtual meeting with everyone at the end and ensure everyone is in agreement and the administrator reads the assurances as, as she would in a traditional IEP meeting, Garcia said. Then when possible, have parents submit remote signatures. Anybody been getting that yet? I have. If not possible, seek their verbal agreement and write down that they participated by phone and what they said. Then email and mail everything to the parents. There has to be a level of trust that the school is inputting what the parents say, she said. Okay, and then it goes on to talk about other things, which I'm stopping myself. I'm yes, I, you know, we've been hearing from people that the electronic signature thing is a little bit of a hiccup and a nightmare and that um, sometimes, they feel like they're being told by a person who's at an administrative assistant level that they have to have the actual signature and that they won't take an electron. I've heard this from three different parents that somebody who wasn't authorized to give them a yes was giving them a no about the electronic signature and that they were having to say to them, can you please go talk to someone else because you clearly don't know what you're talking about. What is the I issue? You're just signing for attendance. No, but about other things that there have been other school related things that, that I just have been hearing from parents that it, the electronic signature has been a, a headache. Okay. Um, not not specifically at the IEP, but with other stuff. Oh. Um, so, um, you know, I don't I don't know if we want to like address that at some point, but but I've heard that. that a can, little I, bit of can I give a shameless plug for something and I make no money? Yes. from it? Absolutely. If I can show We're you. We're all about shameless plugs here. Okay, well, here's a shameless plug that has this is a doxy scanner, which changed my life. <laughs> there we go. It costs less.
less than $100. You can scan documents easily. You can import them to your computer and then email documents. So that's one way to deal with your, your signature problem. Obviously, there is a larger question for people who don't have access to technology at all and can't even give an, a, a signature. But um, I think if you're, you know, in the old days, I used to say to people, hey, if you're in the special ed business parent, you better get a fax machine. Well, that's the, the same is true. If you want to, you know, if you want to be able to um, hold these people's feet to the fire, you need to have a way to, you know, send documentation to them. Um, and sometimes email is fine, but if you have to, let's say you need to print out a signature page for your IEP and attach a consent, how are you going to get it to them? Well, you can have a little app on your phone. There's one called Tiny Scanner, but I just don't find that they're nearly as good as this. And now that I'm like living in this virtual reality, I scan all my IEP notes if they're handwritten and I upload them to a file and you just you can get rid of a lot of paper too. So, you know, consider investing in this and it's really, it was really easy to set up. I am like not a, you know, tech person. Um, and I just, I feel very much better than I was like, how am I gonna get this, you know, signed signature page yeah. for somebody, so. You know, um, Autism Speaks has a, a thing that it gives to parents when, they, when they're newly diagnosed, it's called the, the 100 day kit. And they have it translated into like some ridiculous 88 languages or something like that. And one of the pieces of advice that was in it, I don't know if it's still there, but it was, if there's one thing you want to invest in, it's a scanner. Now they recommend getting the type of scanner where you can plop down 40 pages and it'll scan it all itself. I personally, I love, I love yours because that's great for receipts too, but I know. And you can take it to your school district and copy stuff. But yeah, it's not convenient for, you know. But I but I will tell you that, you know, one of the things that we got for, I want to say it was less than $40 um, at one of the, a big box store, and there are many of them, and you can order these things online now, is just a very inexpensive uh, printer, computer printer, that has the ability to scan as well. And, mm -hmm. and honestly, $40, and yeah, the ink, costs more than the printer does uh, down the road. But we find that we scan stuff on it so that we're not printing all that much. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and print in grayscale, pay, pay less in ink. Um, but I think that these are, no matter what, there's, a, there's a, a pile of paperwork that has to be dealt with. And I think that the parents who have the, the lower stress are the parents who know where their paperwork is and can access it at a minute's notice. And, and having like we like this last week alone, Bonnie, we had four different questions that came in about people who had gotten a diagnosis maybe 20 years ago and they didn't save the paperwork and the school didn't keep the paperwork and now they're ha they have you know adult children and there's no documentation of ever having a diagnosis. Get, get your paperwork scanned and safe and on the cloud so that you can always find it. Yeah, I, I, just, you know, I think you need to treat this project of your children as seriously as you treat your job. And at your job, you would have, you know, pens and papers and paper clips and a place to work and, yep. you know, uh, a file storage. And yeah, I mean, you know, my when 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 I was doing this, I had a I had two huge boxes of paper. 
you know, because we didn't have other alternatives then. And I, you know, my whole thing was, God, I guess someday I'm going to go through all this and like see what it says. But at some point it all disappeared. I have no idea what happened. <gasps> oh, how horrible. I, my plan from the beginning was that I was going to write a book and that I wanted documentation because I figured people were going to sue me when I wrote the book and said what happened. Um, and so I kept, so I kept everything. Um, and I told them all, I said, I'm writing a book. I'm keeping this because I'm going to do the tell all. And I'm going to say, you said this. No wonder uh, you have such good services. Uh, so, but that was my thing always was that I was like, the book is coming out and it's going to be a tell all. And what's funny is that instead it turned into a stage show, but I still have every email. I have every piece of paper because, you know, one day I'm going to be overrun by it. But I figured when people were suing me, I wanted to be able to go, nope, it's right here. I have the email where she said this. Uh, and that's how I looked at it. Pack rat. Anyway, we're past out of time. Uh, yeah, Bonnie, I appreciate you so much. You are, the, you are amazing. Tell them again about Tolner Law Offices. Tolner Law Offices is an aid attorney firm in San Jose, Los Angeles, and Irvine. And we do special education, regional center eligibility, disability discrimination, and all other things that pertain to having a child with a disability. Thank you for being on our team and on our side, Bonnie. We appreciate you so much. We have, um, now we have an attorney that does conservatorships in California. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Can, they, can, I, can I have them be on the show to talk about that? Yes. yes. You'll help me hook yeah. that up? All right, fabulous. Yeah, I'll put you guys in touch. Thank you, Bonnie. I appreciate you so much. Have a good week. Bye, everybody. Have a good Monday. Bye-bye. And I just want to say as we go, you guys, because we're past uh, 11 o'clock, don't miss tomorrow because for the first time since the shutdown, we're having Alex Plank on the show. Alex Plank from wrongplanet.net is going to be with us. Um, he is hilarious and funny and knowledgeable, and he always uh, finds a way to tell me what I'm doing wrong. And look, I'm doing things wrong right? But Alex is my friend who tells me, you just ableist. If you want to know from, you know, from somebody about uh, what the issues are for folks that are on the spectrum, a self-advocate, but what's important, and, but in a funny, fun, uh, accessible package, you need to be here with us tomorrow. Alex and I always get into it. Um, and I love him dearly. So good, good friend. All right. So we will look forward to have, and don't forget on Wednesday, we have Dr. Grampuche doing Ask Dr. Doreen. So that's wonderful. On Thursday, we have the Miracle Project. Elaine Hall is going to be here with some of her students because they got a new show opening on Thursday. And on Friday, Nancy, because we're going to need it on Friday, um, licensed marriage and family therapist, Vince Redman is going to be here with Nancy and I. And then of course, on Saturday, we'll be doing that um, the virtual memorial for Joanne Laura, all of that and more this week. All right. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.